Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the April 29th, 2022 episode of Unchained. Coin change is the easiest way to earn passive income using crypto. You can safely deposit cash or cryptocurrencies to earn up to 20% annual yield. There is no lending or market risk, just simple, high return yield farming. Create an account today at trydefi.cc slash UNC and receive 40 USDC. That's trydefi.cc slash UNC. If you're frustrated that your bank account isn't crypto-friendly, it's time to make a change. OnJuno is a powerful new checking account that lets you buy, spend, and earn in crypto. It's free to open an account and even comes with a metal card. Download the OnJuno app today. With the Crypto.com app, you can buy, earn, and spend crypto in one place. Download and get $25 with the code LAURA, link in the description. Galaxis. Create unstoppable communities by issuing NFTs with interactive dynamic utility traits that allow any creator to engage with, reward, and monetize their following. Today's guest is Christopher Perkins, president at CoinFund, a Web3 investment fund. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. You're at Crypto Bahamas this week. What has the vibe been like and what are people talking about? It's a great vibe here. There's so much energy. Uh, I feel like there's a couple of really big trends that, that that are facing industry right now, and those are positive trends. One is that we're starting to see governments, policymakers, regulators starting to see that you know they're they're, they're starting to support this and go on the offense. It really started with the the Biden executive order. So that threat that thread of just you know governments trying to to see this as an opportunity, not a threat, is big. And then, you know, institutional adoption. Uh, there are a ton of institutions here trying to learn, get educated, and really embrace what we're seeing in crypto. So super excited, exciting vibe here. Uh, some amazing speakers as well. And uh, it's just great. So uh, FTX is one of the organizers of the conference, and that's led by Sam Pinkman fried And its U.S. arm recently rattled some financial industry bigwigs. You know a little, or really a lot about that world. Why don't you give us a little bit on your background and then tell us what it is that Sam and FTX US proposed? Yeah, thanks, Laura. So I started my career as a, as a US Marine uh, and I served in Battle Ramadi. And then I, I transitioned into a company called Lehman Brothers, uh, which many people have heard about. And I got myself into the derivatives industry. And uh, by the time we went bankrupt, I was running our derivatives prime brokerage. Uh, and I saw what happens when crisis hits derivatives. I was at the epicenter of the global financial crisis. Uh, I moved across to City the following day. Uh, they asked me 
if uh, if I wanted a job, I asked them what kind of package they had, and they said it was a really great package. It's called a job. And so I started uh, the next day, and the first thing that I had to do was clean up my own mess at Lehman because all of my, my trades were defaulted. And then something happened. It was called Dodd-Frank, and, and governments around the world decided that they really wanted to regulate the derivatives industry. Uh, and so I was put in charge of, of that business where we had to take the $700 trillion derivatives industry from unregulated to regulated. And a guy named Gary Gensler was my head regulator at the time. And by the time I left, uh, I was running our futures business, um, our foreign exchange prime brokerage business, and then uh, this clear derivatives business. So I was at the heart of that. Now, when you step back and you look at how regulators and policymakers approached this financial crisis, it was caused by centralization. Um, and the regulatory response was even more centralization and concentration. And I don't blame them because there were no technology alternatives at the, at the time. And if you look back over the last 100 years, regulators really needed you know, central nodes that they could monitor and collateralize and regulate because the, the, the idea of decentralizing derivatives just wasn't, they didn't, there were no capabilities around that. And so we ended up in a world where today in the United States, you're seeing incredible innovation overseas. 90% uh, of crypto derivatives are happening, are being transacted in overseas. And it's incredibly difficult for um, our innovators to, to adapt this centralized policy uh, to, to offer crypto derivatives. And so if you step back even further, you know, what is this futures market? It's, it can be very confusing to folks. But really what it does is it requires um, central clearing. So all derivatives have to face one central counterparty. You've probably heard of it before. The CME is an example where they're the buyer, the buyer to the seller and the seller to the buyer. So you create this big central counterparty. And then members form around that central counterparty. And really what those are are the banks. And what the banks have to do is guarantee the performance of that ecosystem. And so what it results in is a big centralization um, and, and socialization of risk. Because if one of those members goes bankrupt and there's not enough money in the system, then all those other members have to pay for it. And so the system that we have today is very centralized. The intermediaries to get into the system, you have to use, go through a member and that member um, guarantees the risk of the whole system. And so it's a very socialized approach. What the FTX folks have, have proposed is something that's going to change this, turn it, turn it on its entire head. And they're saying, look, we don't need to have intermediaries in, anymore because we have the technology um, where we can open up access uh, across markets and we can allow individuals to face the clearinghouse directly. This is a major, major change uh, because it departs from that socialization um, ecosystem and it is um, causing a humongous stir uh, amongst you know, the banks, amongst the clearinghouses, uh, and I'm happy to unpack it further. Yeah. Well, so talk a little bit more about like who would be affected and kind of how they're reacting to this proposal. So it's been really interesting because I said earlier there, um, the law required this intermediation. And what we call those intermediaries, we call them futures commission merchants. Those are the banks, right? And you would think that 
if your business is the law, that business would be great. Um, but actually, it's not. If you look back from 2004, there were 188 intermediaries or FCMs. Today, there are only 61. And at the same time, what happened was the amount of collateral that they've had to hold has gone through the roof. It's gone from like 60 billion in 2002 to 470 billion today. So what you're seeing is you're seeing the number of intermediaries come down, the amount of risk going up. And so we're left with a very concentrated system. Now, the other problem that you know we've been watching is that the the central counterparties themselves, they control all the collateral in the system and they calibrate it. And they're supposed to calibrate it such that um, if somebody go, is, goes into default, then their own assets stand behind their, their default. That's called default or pays. That's, even though it's a big socialization of risk, you really need to have this concept of default or pays. But what we've seen is we've seen a lot of under collateralization and we see that in margin breaches, which means that the the, the movement in the markets isn't enough to it exceeds the collateral that's been set. So we're seeing that that as a trend. And we also saw with like NASDAQ OMX that there have been instances as late as as, as recently as 2018 where the other members have had to pay. So so there's some issues in the system. And, you know, one thing that that's really plaguing these intermediaries is their legacy technology where it's very batch driven today. Um, and and. The problem here is that they really can't keep up with the crypto markets, and, and this is what's happening. When people trade, the risk immediately hits the system, and but collateral isn't called by the clearinghouse. It, it could be called from the intermediary right away, but then the bank has to wait until the end of the next day to collect the collateral back. And so for crypto markets, right, these markets trade 24-7. They can be volatile. Um, we know that and, and we like it. And you know, it's a new asset class being born. But it's very hard to reconcile the dynamic risk management of crypto markets with these very slow, arduous, batch-driven processes. And so, frankly, the, the banks are really, really struggling uh, to keep up with crypto derivatives. And so who stands to who stands to win here and who stands to lose? I think the people that stand to win are the U.S. people, the U.S. market participants themselves. Right. Because what are derivatives? Derivatives have been around for centuries. They originally started by helping farmers hedge their risk for their crops. Right. And so we're left in a situation in America where market participants you know, are transacting in cryptocurrencies but they don't have a viable dynamic derivatives market that allows them to hedge their risk. And so to the extent that FTX can come in, you know, address those operational shortfalls, um, they can potentially offer, you know, the U.S. derivatives, the U.S. U.S. persons, the ability to better hedge their risk, which is awesome for crypto markets. So for that reason, you know, I think it's such a no brainer um, to really think through. Now, the regulators are, are concerned about a couple of things. This model is different um, in that we do have this, this concept of auto liquidation in futures markets. But frankly, you have the same concept in traditional markets, because if you miss a margin call, you can get liquidated. Um, but here it's more automated. Um, and so what I think regulators are going to look at is a couple of things. Number one, are there appropriate disclaimers? Do people know, you know what they're doing? And, and, and I think that's very easy to solve for. And the second thing is, remember, you're departing from this old system 
where the banks are guaranteeing it's the performance of the system. And in this case, FTX is saying, you know, we don't need those guarantees because we're going to manage, manage risk and collateralize risk in real time. And to the extent there is a shortfall, we're going to meet that shortfall through our own obligations, which is something that kind of aligns interest, if you ask me. Um, so, you know, it's a big departure. It's something that I think if we're able to move forward with it, it'll be very good for markets. Um, it'll be good for U.S. persons. Um, the, and and I, the other thing that I love about it is it introduces competition, right? When you have a new model that may be more inclusive, um, you know, when I was running our futures business, um, you know, there's times when you just couldn't, you couldn't extend your services to, to hedgers that only traded a few times a year to hedge the risk where you'd have to say, listen, I have to give you a big minimum because my costs are so high. So I think it'll lead to a more inclusive marketplace. I think it'll lead to a marketplace that's probably more cost effective because there's fewer toll takers um, around. Uh, finally, you know, I think the banks are having debates amongst themselves on the future. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's my guess that the banks will actually support uh, this model because it will give them the opportunity to get involved maybe in new and exciting ways. Um, and I think it will also incentivize the legacy providers maybe to kick their technology uh, up a gear. And, um, and, and again, I think this type of competition and a move toward real-time risk management is going to be really good for markets. Yeah, it's incredibly fascinating. Um, so in a moment, we're going to talk a little bit more about next steps. Uh, but first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. It's becoming clear that utility is the future of NFT technology. And no launch platform does utility better than Galaxis. Anyone with a community can now engage with, reward, and monetize their following by issuing an NFT collection with dynamic utility traits. These traits can be customized to the needs of a particular community and change over time, allowing the creator to sustain a prolonged relationship with their most valuable followers. Visit galaxis.xyz to learn more. There's been a lot of buzz around getting paid in crypto, and it's easy with OnJuno, the all-in-one crypto and banking app. You can set up a direct deposit and earn a portion of your paycheck in crypto. You get 10% back when you spend USDC with the OnJuno card, as well as a 4% yield on your USDC. Not to mention, you can buy crypto with zero fees. All of this from an FDIC-insured checking account. OnJuno integrates directly with your direct deposit system, has no transaction fees, and is already being used by employees of some of the biggest tech companies like Google, Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft. It's free to open an account, and today you can get $50 added to your first direct deposit using code LAURA. Download the OnJuno app today. That's O-N-J-U-N-O, and use code LAURA for $50. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Back to my conversation with Chris. So one thing I just wanted to point out for listeners is that 
FTX recently made an acquisition, or I should say FTX US made an acquisition of Ledger X, which is kind of what enabled them to make this proposal. So can you talk a little bit about that maneuver and then just generally like what this could mean for FTX US? Yeah, we, we talk about it um, amongst a number of market participants. To operate in the United States, you need certain licenses. And you know, spot markets in crypto, some of the regulation I would say is a bit you know gray at best. We're trying to figure out the right principles-based uh, regulatory framework. But the thing about derivatives is that they're fully regulated. Um, and the law that was passed with Dodd-Frank, you know, articulated exactly how the, the law works. So there's no ambiguity around the regulation of derivatives themselves. And when you unpack the, the law and regulations around derivatives, to operate, you need certain licenses. And the license that LedgerX had was something called the DCO, uh, Derivatives Clearing Organization, which is a license that allows you to be the buyer to the seller and the seller to the buyer, effectively the entity that controls the entire ecosystem and calibrates risk management. And so to operate, you need to have that DCO. You've seen that uh, other folks like Coinbase um, purchase Farex, which is a DCM. A DCM um, is a designated contract market. It's an exchange essentially for, for futures. And so in order to operate in the U.S. derivatives market, you need to put together, like I call them like these regulatory Legos, the, these licenses, um, in order to function uh, from front to back. The, the last license that you need to operate in today's derivatives market is something called the FCM, the Futures Commission Merchant. That's the intermediary. And so exchange, need a license, intermediary, need a license, clearinghouse, you need a license. Um, and what the LedgerX acquisition did, it gave uh, FTX the license to operate as a clearinghouse in the United States. So it's a necessary ingredient. And now they're saying, okay, I've got the DCO. I don't need the FCM because I can, I can risk manage the system without it. And again, I think it's very exciting. And, and I think it's, gonna, it's an innovation that um, could revitalize derivatives markets, which have largely migrated overseas. Yeah, and I do know, so the, the Bloomberg article that broke this news said the industry seemed concerned that the proposal could give FTX a toehold to expand into markets for everything from oil to gold to currencies. So what do you think of that concern? And why don't we actually just tie it in with the fact that already CME has come out against this? So, you know, my thesis is that these markets are coming together. Um, you know, what's a better marketplace? One that settles, you know, on an arduous 12-hour bat cycle or one that leverages tokens to settle in real time, right? And so I believe that traditional finance um, and, and crypto, at the end of the day, they're going to come together. And I think in many cases, crypto technology is going to eat the legacy technology. But why wouldn't we want to ultimately extend it to other asset classes? Now, you can't just race into it. And I think there needs to be a lot of thought that goes into it. Um, at the end of the day, you know, derivatives are incredibly important from a risk management perspective. And so when you move to 24-hour markets seven days a week, which is happening and has happened, I think it, unique risks could emerge. Like what happens if a commodities contract with a low liquidity at two in the morning, a trade gets done and it triggers, you know, a, it triggers an off-market valuation that, that leads to liquidations. These are the types of things that need to be thought through. But I think it's inevitable that the entire world is going to move to 24-hour 
seven-day-a-week markets. And I think the U.S. derivatives market is going to be part of that. I mean, um, it just doesn't make sense otherwise. You know, derivatives help you risk manage. Dynamic risk management is what we owe to U.S. persons. So there's going to be a comment or there is a comment period that will end on May 11th. And this Wednesday, the CFTC announced that there would be a public discussion on on this proposal on May 25th. So what do you think this signals? Is this kind of standard operating procedure or does it give some indication of how likely the proposal is to pass? So in, in my discussions with, with the CFTC, they're a very thoughtful regulator um, and they're asking all the right questions and they're trying to get educated um, to, to reach the right principles-based conclusion. I think when you look at that in the context of uh, President Biden's executive order and, and Secretary Yellen's uh, discussion around, hey, let's go from the defense to the offense and let's focus on responsible innovation. This fits right in the wheelhouse um, and derivatives are a cornerstone of the U.S. economy. Um, frankly, the cornerstone of our national security. And so I'm very excited about the about these public hearings, about the desire to be educated, to understand the, the opportunity and the risk. My personal belief is that um, I'm very hopeful and encouraged that something that we are able to move forward, perhaps starting with crypto derivatives, because right now the ability uh, in the United States is, is very limited to cash settled, a couple of cash settled products. Um, but I would love to, to, to come away from these hearings with an opportunity for U.S. persons to hedge the risk. And at the time of this public discussion, what will you be watching for in terms of tea leaves? You know, I'm really interested to hear reasons why we shouldn't move forward. Um, you know, in my mind, I, I saw a comment today by, by one of the CEOs saying, you know, principles-based innovation, right? And, and as I look at that, the principles that we're able to deliver through the FTX proposal would be perhaps, you know, more inclusivity. It would be better risk management. And so I would love to hear the counter arguments uh, around why, you know, we shouldn't revitalize our futures markets because I need to understand them better. To me, it's kind of a no brainer that we should embrace technology and unlock its promise while understanding the risk and come up with regulatory guardrails to make sure that those risks are mitigated. So like, that's really what I want to see. Um, and then, of course, um, interested to see how the commissioners react. The other thing to watch, right, is 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 the partisan nature of the dialogue. And in my experience in talking to regulators and policymakers, I actually don't see too much of it, right? And if you look at historical um, decisions made by the CFTC, they're typically along party lines. Um, not always, but but a lot of times. I'm guessing that in this case, that may not be the case. And so. If there's any partisanism that's introduced, I would be that would that would be very curious to me, because from my experience, you know, even if you look at like recent congressional races, it's very much a bipartisan phenomena where, you know, Eric Adams and Ted Cruz are agreeing that you know we need to embrace this technology. So that would be something that I would watch, uh, but I, I don't expect it to be partisan. All right. Well, we will have to um, see what happens at that time. This has been an incredibly fascinating discussion. Thanks so much for coming on Unchained. Laura, it's, it's an honor. Uh, thank you for, uh, I'm, a, I'm an avid listener. So, so thank you for uh, the content you produce and an awesome job on Cryptopians. Thank you. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. It's time to bring Wall Street to Main Street. 
CoinChange is democratizing access to wealth management with low-risk, high-return, passive income through DeFi. It's simple. Just deposit your crypto into a CoinChange high-yield account to earn more over time. Your yield is paid out daily and can be withdrawn anytime. CoinChange's yield farming doesn't utilize lending or other risky strategies. No minimums, no obligations, just high yield. It's time for a change. Create an account today at trydefi.cc unc to receive 40 USDC. That's trydefi.cc unc. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. Bitcoin is now legal tender in Central African Republic. The Central African Republic, CAR, a country home to 4.9 million people, has adopted Bitcoin as legal tender within its borders. According to the AFP news agency, CAR President Faustine Archange Tuadera signed a law legalizing all cryptocurrencies and recognizing Bitcoin as legal tender this week. Finance Minister Hervé Nboda was proud of the country's move. He explained to Bloomberg, There's a common narrative that sub-Saharan African countries are often one step behind when it comes to adopting new technology. This time, we can actually say that our country is one step ahead. CER is the first country to legalize Bitcoin as legal tender in Africa, and the second in the world, joining El Salvador. Notably, the CER news came during the same week that former BitMEX CEO and noted analyst Arthur Hayes made the case for the doom loop in his most recent article, arguing that Bitcoin adoption at the country level would lead to a $1 million price per coin. He wrote, flags, meaning nations, will pursue a savings policy mix that includes storing commodities and purchasing gold slash Bitcoin. The fact that USD and EUR assets are not part of this mix, combined with entrenched real goods and energy inflation, puts the doom loop into motion. The doom loop will usher in $1 million Bitcoin and $10,000 to $20,000 gold by the end of the decade. Elon Musk is buying Twitter. Here's why that's important for crypto. Twitter is set to go private after formally accepting a $44 billion bid from Tesla CEO Elon Musk. The news was announced in a press release Tuesday, with the Twitter board unanimously approving the deal that will see every shareholder receive a payout of $54.20 per share. While there are still some details to be worked out before the Elon deal officially goes through, the news had some instant implications for the crypto market and could have far-reaching effects as well. Just as I did in a bulletin newsletter this week, let's break down three ways Musk's bid for Twitter is noteworthy for crypto. First, as usual, Musk's action pumped the price of Doge, with the Monday news release pushing the meme coin up by about 20% before coming back down rather quickly. Dogecoin fanatics are most likely excited about the news as Musk recently showed interest in Doge tipping, a Twitter native feature. Furthermore, Tesla accepts Doge for certain merchandise, setting a precedent for Musk to utilize the currency at his companies. Speaking of Tesla, the electric car manufacturer and the Musk-led SpaceX hold BTC on their balance sheets. Adding Twitter to that list does not seem crazy, especially considering the app has already integrated Lightning payments. Musk made it clear that eliminating bots will be a priority for Twitter under his leadership. This will be a major user experience upgrade for crypto Twitter. 
As imposter bot accounts frequently scam new or unlucky users via phishing links and private key ploys. On that note, I'm personally interested in how crypto tools like zero-knowledge technology could be used to help authenticate users. Fidelity Bitcoin 401ks are on the way. Fidelity Investments will allow clients to add Bitcoin to their 401k retirement plans later this year, the firm announced on Tuesday. Employers will be able to cap Bitcoin savings at 20% of an employee's account. There is growing interest from plan sponsors for vehicles that enable them to provide their employees access to digital assets in defined contribution plans, and in turn from individuals with an appetite to incorporate cryptocurrencies into their long-term investment strategies, said Dave Gray, head of Workplace Retirement Offerings and Platforms at Fidelity Investments in a press release. Crazy stat. According to Coindesk's research, Cerulli Associates estimates that Fidelity held around $2.4 trillion in 401k assets in 2020. That's nearly triple Bitcoin's market capitalization. The Michael Saylor-led software firm MicroStrategy is at the front of the line for Fidelity's offering and announced on Tuesday that it plans to offer employees access to Bitcoin via Fidelity 401ks. MicroStrategy looks forward to working with Fidelity Digital Assets to become the first public company to offer their employees the option to invest in Bitcoin as part of our 401k program, tweeted Saylor. In related traditional finance meets crypto news, Stripe announced a new pilot product with Twitter for ticketed spaces and superfollows to support payouts in USDC over Polygon. Goldman Sachs says it is exploring the tokenization of real assets via NFTs. Coindesk reports that Matthew McDermott, global head of digital assets at Goldman Sachs, said, We are actually exploring NFTs in the context of financial instruments, and actually there, the power is actually quite powerful. So we work on a number of things, he said at the Financial Times Crypto and Digital Assets Summit on Wednesday. PayPal CEO Dan Shulman said that the firm needs to double down on digital wallets because that is where the future of the industry and the future of PayPal is going. Vitalik seems optimistic about optimism. Optimism, the third largest Ethereum layer 2 by total value locked, fourth if you count Polygon, announced plans for governance this week. Called the Optimism Collective, Optimism will now be operated by two distinct groups, the Token House and the Citizens House. As its name implies, Token House will be run by the soon-to-be airdropped OP token, which will govern the Optimism protocol via on-chain voting. This is more or less industry standard. With Citizens House, Optimism is trying something new. The L2 plans to use soul-bound NFTs, or NFTs that are non-transferable, to allow non-token OP holders to decide how future revenue collected by Optimism is used. The plan has Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin excited. Possibly the biggest attempt at non-token holder-centric DAO governance so far. Excited to see where this goes, he tweeted. As for the token, 20% of OP is set aside for public goods funding, 25% for an ecosystem fund, core contributors will receive 19%, investors 17%, and 19% of the OP supply is allocated for airdrops, with 5% being airdropped soon in the first season. Over 250,000 addresses met Optimism's round one airdrop criteria. A $34 million smart contract error. Agutars, a much-anticipated NFT project headed by digital artist and former Major League Baseball player Micah Johnson, underwent its initial drop with a faulty smart contract 
leading to $34 million worth of Ether being locked away from both creators and purchasers. Two smart contract errors were found shortly after the drop started, though Aku developers denied anything was wrong. The first was rectified after a hacker froze and unfroze the refund capability of the Akutar Mint. However, the second error, which miscounted the number of NFTs necessary to unlock funds, proved fatal and led to 11,539 ETH, or $34 million, being locked into a smart contract. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to the Aku family. I care so deeply about the Aku family. I let you all down, and I'm so sorry, wrote Johnson on Twitter. Since then, the Aku team has refunded affected users and successfully finalized an airdrop of the NFTs. Despite the shaky drop, the 15,000-piece collection holds a floor price of 1.9 ETH on OpenSea. A Tale of Two Cities New York passed a law looking to pause new, non-renewable energy-based proof-of-work mining. The New York State Assembly passed a law that would place a two-year moratorium on the approval for new mining operations utilizing the proof-of-work consensus algorithm and powered by non-renewable energy. Furthermore, the bill would prevent existing operations from renewing their permits. This could stymie new Bitcoin and Ethereum mining in New York if the law passes in the state Senate and if many of these miners don't use renewable energy. Of the total hash rate in the U.S., 19.9% is housed in New York. Fort Worth, the first mining city. On the opposite end of the spectrum lies Fort Worth, Texas, which is set to become the first city in the United States to start mining Bitcoin in a pilot project. Through a partnership with Texas Blockchain Council, the city will be maintaining three mining rigs in a climate-controlled location in City Hall. $77 million in BTC will be donated to Ukraine in fiat. Earlier this week, it was reported that Finland was considering ways to donate up to $77 million worth of seized Bitcoin to Ukraine. Notably, there was disagreement about whether the Bitcoin should be sent over the Bitcoin network or whether customs should cash out the Bitcoin and donate the resulting fiat. On Thursday, it was confirmed that Finland would be doing the latter and will give CoinMotion and Tesseract, two crypto firms, the 1,890 BTC by early summer for them to sell for euros which will then be donated to Ukraine. Deuce Dow down 13.4 million due to a hack. Deuce Finance, a DeFi application, was exploited, with the hacker getting away with $13.4 million. According to Coindesk, the hacker utilized it with a specialized $143 million flash loan attack to artificially inflate the value of assets, borrow funds, and make a profit after selling. This is the second exploit in 2022 for Deuce. Time for fun bits. Whoa, Edward Snowden played a role in the birth of Zcash. The founding of Zcash, a much-covered story that involved six participants, breaking up a private key controlling the ability to mint tokens in a plan called The Ceremony, just got a little bit crazier. The publicly known Zcash founders have so far included Zuko and Nathan Wilcox, Coin Center's Peter Van Valkenburg, security engineer Derek Hinch, and Bitcoin developer Peter Todd who each went to great lengths via overseas flights, burned equipment, tinfoil, and air-gapped computers to make sure the ceremony was completed without a nefarious hacker gaining access to the key controlling the supply of Zcash. However, until this week, it was not known that rounding out the group of six was the famous whistleblower and former U.S. defense contractor Edward Snowden. Stone's involvement in the 2016 event occurred three years after the U.S. charged him with espionage and was done under the pseudonym John Darberton. 
However, according to Snowden, it was not the opportunity to invest, but his interest in Zcash technology, which is privacy-focused and helps users obfuscate blockchain transactions through dark pools, which led to his involvement. As long as it is clear that I was never paid and had no stake, it was just a public interest thing, I think you can tell people, wrote Snowden. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Chris and CoinFund, check out the show notes for this episode. If you've read my book, The Cryptopians, and want to chat about whether or not Ethereum would have hard forked without the involvement of Andre Chernovsky of Chatroulette, how Ming Chan was able to stay as executive director of the Ethereum Foundation despite so many people wanting her out for so long, whether or not it matters that Charles Hoskinson appears to have told many tall tales, and the shocking market manipulation proposal, and much more, then join one of my book clubs. You will get a free year-long subscription to my premium offering in which I release interviews not available elsewhere. Head over to bitsky.com to get an NFT ticket for dates and times. That's B-I-T-S dot K-I forward slash Laura Shin. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Mark Murdoch, Shashank, and CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.